Now the time for leaders to qualify. My name is Ken. I'm an outstanding compulsive reader. I've always called myself an overachiever with a fork. <laughs> That's what I did best. One of my early habits was leaving my office in the city, driving into the valley, stopping off at a fast food restaurant, getting a bag of food, parking on a dark street, and consuming it before I go home for dinner. I did that because I thought I, I could think about things, but I had to lift something in my face while I was thinking. I came in here over 300 pounds. I don't know the exact number. Used to hit 299. I only got a normal scale. They hit 299. The next number is zero. But when that happened, I'd go to a doctor. I spent 20 years on amphetamines or shots or metrical or in a hypnotist's office or in a psychotherapist's office. And I always lost 20, 30 pounds. I was so happy I went out and stopped and started eating again. It's a uh, like a dog chasing his tail. I did not get it. I did not get it. I came here by accident. I met a man on a sales trip. I hadn't seen him in 10 years. In 1978, I walked into a business meeting in San Francisco. He was standing there. He had a normal body and a smile on his face. And with my humor, I said, what's wrong? <laughs> I hadn't seen him in 10 years. We were big buddies in New York years before. And he told me about OA. And he said, you look it up in the, in the telephone book. Wherever you go in the white pages, you'll find it. And we talked for a few minutes, and I haven't seen him since. And that's God working in my life. He put, he put himself in, in my presence for five or ten minutes after not seeing him for ten years. It's now 34 years later I haven't seen him since. I don't know where he is. But he planted the seed. And so I went home. I immediately looked up OA in the white pages. I wrote it down, put the number in my wallet, and forgot it. That's usually what I would do with a lot of things. Write it down and forget it. And that was in February. By May, I had found that number, and I figured I have to get rid of this because this is something that I don't understand. So I called up, and I got a person on the phone, uh, a recording, actually, not a live person. And I was very grateful later for that because if it would have been a man or a woman, I probably would have hung up. How could I ask for someone that got over synonymous? And they pointed out there was a meeting in Van Nuys that night, Wednesday, and it started at 8. If you're a newcomer, come at 7.30. I put the phone down. I lied to my wife. I told her I was going out to buy clothing. She would never go with me to buy clothing. Not <laughs> and one of the last lies I lied to my wife about. And, and I went to that meeting, and I didn't get it. I didn't understand it. I didn't see a scale. I didn't see doctors, nurses. I didn't see pills. Nothing was given out. But then when they started talking about their lives, I understood that this is how I felt. They were talking about how they felt before, during, and after. And they all looked normal. Many of them looked normal. And I didn't know how to do it. I heard you have to get a sponsor. This is, gives me room for thought. You can't, I can't ask for somebody. What am I going to ask for? So I went home and thought about it. If I don't get rid of this and prove it doesn't work, I will have failed. So I went back the next week, and I asked a man who was shorter than I was, normal body, if he would show me what this was about. He said, you, you're looking for a sponsor? I said, yes. It was too humbling to use that word, sponsor. And so we decided that I'd call him in the morning at 7.30, quarter to 8, and tell him what I was going to eat that day. And he gave me some tough love, 
He said, Ken, if you're going to put it in your mouth, put it in my ear. And, and that meant I, when I committed to having food, that's the food I'm going to eat. I could make changes during the day. Sometimes life changes, things happen, but I have to call him and tell him or leave it on his machine. So program was a little different in those days. You'd work with a sponsor guaranteed 21 days, and after 21 days commitment, you could drop the sponsor, the sponsor could drop you. After 21 days of calling in my food, I went down 15 to 17 pounds. I said, this is amazing. I don't need him, and I don't need this book. I don't need this book he asked me to buy. It's got 560 pages. doesn't even have any pictures. I'm not going to read that. And I don't know what I'm eating. I'll just write down what I'm eating. And so I did. And all the way came back. And I didn't understand it. I didn't get it. And I have to remember back to who I was in those days. I didn't get a lot of things. I was on a uh, road to a new life, but I was dawdling. I was dawdling. I wasn't sure. So I went back to the meeting again. I uh, told them uh, I, need, I need some more help. That was like in August of 78. Uh, and I kept an abstinence on weekends, or I broke it on a Wednesday night. And I had to say, Wednesday night, you can enjoy yourself. I had all these games. And then I reached the bottom on Thanksgiving of 1978. I never want to reach again. And my eating stopped. Uh, it's something that normal people, those are the people who live out there, terminally normal, I call them. They don't understand what we're talking about. I had people in my home for Thanksgiving. I didn't want to be there. So I ate for 48 consecutive hours. I ate the preparation of the food. I ate the meals. I always helped my wife clean up because I got more that way. I got up in the middle of the night and I ate it cold. And then on Saturday, two days after Thanksgiving, I called this man, my first sponsor, in the stand, and I was ready to be thrown away. He was going to say, Ken, get lost. And that was okay with me. But instead he said, what are you going to eat today? I said, unbelievable. I'm not even hungry after what I just did. You're going to take your meals like you take a prescription. you got breakfast, lunch, and dinner. I don't care if breakfast is cup of juice, but you're going to have something three times a day. And immediately I said to myself, thank God I'm a human. A dog only eats once a day. <laughs> so, I committed what I was going to eat, and I now have 34 years, 95 days of abstinence. <laughs> it's a miracle. I've got over 125 pounds off my body. I sponsor people in this program, uh, 11. Uh, nine men, two women, and the first of the month, which was yesterday, we each get on the scale and we trade our numbers to find out how we're doing. And we do that because that's the reason we came in the door. We then don't think about it the rest of the month. It's just a number. It's a weather report. Forget it. The most important thing is how you're going to live today. You want to blow today? You're not getting back. I remember I was taught that. It took millions of years for today to get here. And if I want to blow it, I'm not getting it back. So, I continued on this path, and my sponsor said, Ken, you've got the big book, you've got to read the first step, because if you don't work the steps, it's like trying to learn how to ride a bike without, excuse me, trying to learn how to swim without getting in the water. And I didn't understand that, and he's right. The steps are there for a purpose. I had to read them and understand them and then do them. And I didn't want any part of it. 
So he said the first step is very easy, Ken. Just stand up at a meeting and admit you're a compulsive over here. So I got there. I opened up the 12 and 12 and I read, and that's what it said. We must admit we are a compulsive over here. We're powerless over food. So I went to a meeting. I remember my first pitch. I don't remember a lot of things I said years after that, but I remember because my hands were sweaty, my mouth was dry, and I stood up and I said, I'm a compulsive reader. I only eat on special occasions when I'm angry, when I'm sad, when I'm happy, when I'm horny, when I'm alone, <laughs> and one other occasion, when I'm awake. <laughs> and, and I sat down and I did the first step. The second step is coming to believe, and I do believe and have believed, that if something was going to fix Ken, it had to be something outside of what I looked for all my life because they couldn't do it. I rented doctors. I rented a hypnotist. I rented a psychotherapist. When I stopped paying them, they went away. So I need something else, and it would have to come from a power greater than myself. I didn't understand that, and I thought, this is where I can get out of this place because I'm going to ask my sponsor how to find God. And so I went to a meeting. We met for a few minutes beforehand. And I said, Sam, tell me, how am I supposed to find God? He said, did you read step three? I said, I did. Now I'm asking, how am I supposed to find God? And he said, Ken, don't concentrate on finding God. Your job is to look for God. And you look for God when you go to a meeting, when you pick up the phone and make a call to a person you barely know, but you're going to say some words to them to get something out of your head. You look for God when you open up a big book of 560 pages without a picture and read a page because you're going to feel better afterwards. You look for God when your phone rings and someone wants to talk to you for a few minutes and all you have to do is listen. So I'm still looking for God and I found a power that I didn't have when I came here because I never did anything this long. I'm going to do it just for today. The rest of today I'm going to maintain my lifestyle because it worked yesterday. Matter of fact, when I got up this morning, I knew this was the most special day in my life. The same thing happened yesterday. And with God's help, the same thing will happen tomorrow. It's the only day in my life. So I have to take care of myself with the substances three times a day. I went out to work the steps. I didn't really want to do this. Looking back, I say, I thought it took me a very long time. It only took me two years uh, Compared to a lot of people, I guess that's faster than some, slower than others. I went down and wrote the fourth step. I put garbage on paper, and I did not want to carry it around because if I were to lose it, I I could never rewrite it, and I didn't want anyone to read it. So I went to a meeting way in the back of the San Fernando Valley. I was hoping it'd be close to Bakersfield, and a man who identified himself as a sponsor stood up. I didn't want to talk to my sponsor about what I wrote. So he stood up. I said, I have this stuff I'm supposed to read. He said, oh, an inventory. I said, yes, Jim, an inventory. So he said, come on down to my office. It's right down the block, and uh, we'll do it. He was very light about it. And so I went to his office after the meeting. I read it. And I didn't know how I was going to feel. He took it. In those days, offices like big ashtrays, he burned it in the ashtray, stirred it up, tossed it out, and said, you got time for coffee? <laughs> I did not understand why I felt a relief while I was walking out with my feet seven, eight inches above the floor. I had given up all this garbage, all this stuff that ran around in my head like a dog chasing his tail. 
And so I had to read step six and seven. I want to admit I still have character defects. I was born with them, but I don't practice them. Or I try very hard not to practice them. Or I have to make amends if I do practice them. Sometimes I hear someone saying something, I bite my tongue. I'm not going to open my mouth. Or I get a feeling, an urge to say something and do something, and I'll sit down for a minute and say, what is that about? In other words, I'm moving slower than I used to move. I used to get a thought, put it into action. Immediately. I want that, I got it. I want to go there, I went. And now I have to do things a little slower. You know why? Because it's better for me. I learned how to live here. The eight and nine steps, uh, very difficult to do. Very difficult. Uh, especially since my family and everyone back east and I'm living out here. But it took me over a year's time, I would say, to really make amends to those people I felt I should make amends to. I had to make amends to somebody who was no longer living, and my sponsor said, why don't you write them a letter? I, I, this is, I couldn't fathom this. So I wrote down how I felt in a letter. He asked me to come and meet him. I read the letter to him. He then burnt it. He said, I'm sending it. He burned the letter. That's it. That's how I made one of my amends. I live in the 10, 11, and 12 steps. I still have a few moments where something gets stuck between my ears. See, my disease never lived on my body. I thought my disease was here. It, it's not. It's here. It's between my ears because I took direction from a crazy head. And I don't do that anymore. And that's a miracle. And I'm only not doing it today. So I still have to write out a 10 step. You can find it on page 86 in the big book where there's an actual format that I give to people I sponsor and take through the steps to write before they go to bed every night for one week and see what comes out. The 11th step is slowing me down even further. I could sit down and meditate in my car just look into space and think about where I am, where I'm going, and what I want to do, and not make any, take any action on anything. It's funny. Praying is like what children know how to do when they're young. They ask for something. That's fine. I had to be told what it was. And I'm here today. This is my 12th step again. So I, I work the 12 steps, and I go out there, and I have to live with terminally normal people. And this is not fun sometimes. <laughs> I went to an event last year where I'd like to qualify first. I, I eat all kinds of food, but I do not eat black and white. Red, red meat, refined sugar. I don't consume those three things. They'll kill me. I'll tell you about bread. Bread was my biggest plus. I couldn't understand what, how I can eat bread dry. nothing on it. I'll give you an idea. Men like to look at uh, centerfolds in a magazine. They open up a magazine, they stare down, they get happy, they feel good, they look at the centerfold. My favorite centerfold would be a loaf of rye bread. <laughs> so I abstain from those three things. And everything else that he comes on a plate. When the plate's empty, I'm done. And I have to tell that to people sometimes because they say, You didn't try this. And I said, No, I'm done. I mean, I can't talk to a normal person and win. I can't. So I just say, I'm done. Thank you. I'm done. I had a problem with a normal person about a year ago. I went to an event and all afternoon. It was after lunch, but before dinner. It was like two in the afternoon. 
and they're serving hors d'oeuvres. Everyone's walking around with a tray. It looks wonderful. I call little stuff like that artwork. <laughs> you know, little pieces of things, and I'm standing there with a soda. I got my club soda, which is a very unexciting drink, but I could lift it to my mouth, put it down, lift it up. And a woman came over and said, you didn't try anything. You don't know what you're missing. And I said, I do. I know what I'm missing. And she said, no, no, no. And she was very vociferous in saying I should try this or that and the other thing. And I didn't know how to explain myself anymore. So I, I said out loud, I said, look, I'm a compulsive overeater. I eat three meals a day, nothing in between. I had lunch. I really look forward to dinner. And she looked at me and she said, what's a compulsive overeater? <laughs> and the only answer I could come up with was, I used to use food to make me feel better, but I felt worse. But I couldn't stop doing it. So she looked at me and said, oh, and walked away. That's <laughs> just what I wanted. Do you understand what I'm talking about? So she's normal and I'm not. But I got it out of my face, and that's what I was <laughs> I don't understand some people sometimes, and it used to bother me. It doesn't bother me anymore. Because they have their own life, and if they want to live with their lifestyle, more power to them. I hear people talk about magic diet, more power to you. They find something that works for them, more power to you. I'm not against anything. I only know what works for me. So I still show up. I go to a meeting, and I can't believe I'm going to say this, but I go to a meeting on a Saturday morning at 10 o'clock called Spiritual Maintainers. It's in the Reseda, the OA office in the Valley. I've been going since 1982 to that meeting. And the reason I can't believe it, I never did anything that long. I didn't do things for 20 minutes. And, and I've been going since 19... Now, the location has moved around. But I've been going since 1982. And a lot of times, even members of my family say, oh, you still go to that? I say, yeah, I still go to that. And they say, why? Why do you have to go? Your weight is fine. I don't understand why you have to go. I say, why do you go to a movie? They say, I want to see the film. I say, well, that's what I do when I go to a meeting. Yeah. It's the same thing, and they don't get it. That's because they're normal. They don't get it. I have two children. My son is normal. He's got a weight like mine. I'm somewhere between 170 and 175. I can't believe it to this day. That's a note. I've got a daughter who's over 220 pounds, and I can't fix her. She lives in Tucson. I can only be an example for her. And she sees that I change, but she's still experimenting. And I can't help her with that. Except I, I sit down with her when I can and ask her how things are going. But she has to talk. If someone doesn't want it, they're not going to get it. We can't sell this program. That's what I found. I can't make a person well. I can stand alongside you while you're getting better. And this is why we have tools, and I use them. I use the telephone. I used the telephone at a barbecue last summer because I couldn't stand it anymore. I'm, I don't need lots of buffet type thing. My wife usually makes me a place. And I went in the house, and I went into the bathroom, and I picked out my cell phone. I'm calling someone, and I wanted to admit that I'm having a plate my wife is making, something like that, with a soda, and that's it. And I walked back out, and this person said, you wouldn't believe it. I heard someone in the bathroom talking about what they're going to eat on the telephone. <laughs> and I showed surprise, and I said, who would do that? <laughs> <laughs> you know what I mean? 
So I don't know what my weight should be. All I know is not what it was. And that's, that's Dodson. That's a miracle. I've gone through a heart attack in the mid-90s. I went through a cardiac arrest in the early 2000s. And when I woke up from the cardiac arrest, my uh, very few people surviving, but like one in 10,000, I was told. I was unconscious for seven days. My doctor said, I talked to your wife. She said, you used to be 300 pounds. I said, yes, yeah, that was. He said, it's a good thing you kept your weight off. You wouldn't be here. You wouldn't get through. CPR doesn't work on people that are 300 pounds. So what am I supposed to do? Thank the doctor? I said, thank you, God. You didn't want me yet. It's as simple as that. Most answers are simple. You know, it's not like algebra. It's not a theory. It's simple. So I say, thank you, God, a lot. Because I'm still here, I get up in the morning, and the first thing I do is I say, thank you. I'm awake again. i got another day. That's great. And a lot of people don't understand what I'm talking about. went to a doctor years ago. I wanted to find out what my weight should be. I said, uh, tell me. You know, I was getting a physical or something. And I said, what's my weight supposed to be? And he looked and he said, well, for your age and your height and your size, your frame, so I have 170, 190. I said, no, 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 I want to know the number I'm supposed to be. And he said, people don't have a number. And I didn't understand it. And he said, people have a range. In the summer, when you're more active and you're out later and you're walking more or swimming or whatever, you drop four or five pounds. In the winter, you may have a cold, you inhibit fluids, or you stay in because it gets dark at 4.30. You put on four or five pounds. So you could swing eight pounds either way. And I listened to that, and it made sense. But I still wanted a number. And he said, Ken, only statues have numbers. They never change. And it's true. And you know what? Who wants to be a statue? You know what birds do to them. <laughs> so, I'm here today because I had a good day yesterday. And I don't want to screw up today or tomorrow it will be a disaster. So I only have to take care of lunch and dinner and life in between. And that's what I tell the people I talk to, that's to get them to concentrate on today. This is the most important day we have. It's the only one we have. So I still come here, I go to meetings, I go to a lot of different meetings, and I've met a lot of you at different meetings. Because I, over the years, I've been in a lot of different places. And we all understand each other, and again, the people that live out there, they don't know what we're talking about. We have a sorority of fraternity here that lets us have something in common. We want to get well. We want to continue forward. We don't want to go backwards. Backwards are easy. Forward's not easy. It's not easy. It's simple. You just do it from now until the next moment. People talk about living a day at a time. Sometimes it's a moment at a time. There are still times when my head gets rattled and I go somewhere private in my car, or I'll sit down in the bathroom, put the lid down, sit down, and look at my watch. And the reason I do that, I was told that's a good way to start meditation. You look at your watch, and it takes forever for the second hand to make one revolution around in a minute. Forever. But yet, you know, months go by in five, five minutes, days go by in five minutes. So I sit there looking at the second hand, it goes around a minute, and then I'm supposed to sit for the second minute and just think about where I am and what I'm doing. And it's common. It's very common. And I walk out feeling different than I would when I walked in. 
I'm not here looking for a cure. I'm afraid of a cure. If I get cured, I might catch it again. So I am still recovering. I'm going to maintain it today with your help. I can't do it without you. I can't do this alone. Diets, I get alone. I took Metropel. It was a pal. I lived on powder. Nothing but powder. And my wife used to say, how can you live on that stuff? I said, I don't know. I don't know how to live on it. I lost some weight. So I got rid of it. The weight came back. There's always a Band-Aid out there. If you want to find one, go to a newsstand. Every magazine has got some kind of a gimmick to lose weight. And they all work for five minutes. And if they work forever, call me up. Please, let me know. And nobody's ever called. So I still go to meetings because I feel better being able to converse with people like you. My recovery comes when I sit down and shut up and you stand up and talk about yourself. I know that you're a little different at this meeting, but this is the recovery we give each other when we listen to each other. And that's a gift. I didn't listen to people. I had all the answers. But I have to listen to people. And when I needed a question, I used to ask my sponsor, where am I going to find the answer to this? And he said, Ken, you're trying to fix something you can't fix. Why don't you open up? And he gave me a page and a character. I can't imagine how he got it right. He used to say, one of my favorite pages, page 45 in the big book, halfway down, there's a sentence that jumps out at me. It says, a lack of power, that was my dilemma. That's it. Lack of power. And then it goes on to talk about what power I do have personally and what I do not have power over. And it settles me down. And so I do go and read the big book. I've, I've never read it from page 1 to page 564, but I've read every page in that book, out of order. And someone, I said that to someone once, they said, that's nuts. How can you read the book that way? I said, that's what I did. I'm nuts. <laughs> <laughs> what I am for someone else doesn't matter. What someone else thinks of me really doesn't matter. As long as I'm doing the best I can. I learn how to do the best I can here. And I don't want to go away. So I have to check to see where I am. We're at 9.30. I think that's my time. I'd like to leave you with a uh, proverb. I always carry proverbs around that have to do with our program. And yet the people who said these words probably knew nothing about program. And I'll leave you one today that was said by... Uh, gentleman who created the Ford Motor Car Company, and uh, it has to do with whether you want to go on or not. And he said, whether you think you can do something, or whether you think you can't do something, you're right. Thank you very much for being here. This is the time for questions only. There is no sharing at this meeting. If you need to share, please do so with any one of us after the meeting. Also, please remember that the opinions of the leader are my own and not those of Overeaters Anonymous as a whole. When asking questions, you need not identify yourself. Please remember, if you ask a question, your voice may be audible on an OA podcast. I believe we're being recorded this morning. Who would like to begin? We have questions until 9.50. So 
it came from uh, giving myself up, making a surrender to really doing something I didn't want to do. I worked at the 12 steps. And as I went through them, my aura of myself became smaller and smaller. And I found out I'm no different than any one of you or many other people outside. And that's got to be spiritual for me because I always thought I was special. I was really something special. We all are. We're all something special. But you know what? We're all the same, too. And as I became smaller in my own mind of myself, I took on a way of life that I never had before. That is spiritual because nobody taught it to me. I was brought up in an orthodox home. I didn't get it. They only practice the religion on one day on the weekend. The rest of the week, they're nuts. <laughs> and here we get to practice it every day. So it came from growth, from being able to hear people like you, from being able to read the big book, definitely working the steps with another person I worked with too, and uh, showing up, taking action. Action is really the magic word. Step eight was very difficult for me. Well, it was supposed step four when I got there. Step eight meant I had to go back and release. Step eight is making a list of those we may have harmed so that we can make amends to them. And the making of the list was not as difficult as step nine, making the amends. But still, I had to separate out those that I could reach, that I knew even where they were, there are some people that have no idea where they are, and I could pray for them. That's making an amends also. But if I could reach a person, I had to actually contact them and ask them how they're doing. And they'd be surprised to hear from me. And I'd let them know, look, I thought of you, and I know we had some uh, really rumpled days in the past, but I did think of you, and I was thinking about how you're doing, and I just wanted to say hello. And I hope we can get along if we get together. And that's it. That's the amendment. It's not getting down in front of a line of people and saying, I'm sorry, I'm sorry, I'm sorry, I'm sorry. That's not making an amendment. As much as showing up and letting them see we're not the person we used to be and that we'd like to maintain a relationship, if it's possible. There's some people I don't want to have a relationship with, but I still have to let them go by letting them know that I thought about them and I hope they're doing well. in your body um, once you've the normal size that may have been uh, caused by not being by carrying around all the weight and were you able to kind of forgive yourself and your body and feel the I'm very grateful that I found this program which had saved my life and I had a heart attack in 1995 uh, and I asked the doctor why it happened and he said he was very honest he said, I don't know he said, you look to be okay. I had a normal build in 1995. He said, and, uh, you're not doing anything crazy, are you? We talked about my lifestyle. It happened. It just happened. And uh, I said, can it just happen again? He said, yeah, anything can happen. <laughs> I said, do you think it will? He said, well, we're going to take steps to hopefully keep it from happening again. I mean, I have to get on cholesterol medication, whatever. But the point is, my lifestyle has brought me this far today. My old lifestyle would have buried me 20 years ago. Thank you. 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 Thank
What do you do on a daily basis to maintain your program? The first thing I do on a daily basis to maintain my program is when I wake up, I pick up that little white book that's on the uh, counter over there for today. And before my feet hit the floor, I must read it. This is a rule that I make with Ken. Today's reading has to do with prayer. It's a magic word. And I hope you can get to read it. It talks about how we use prayer in our lives. And that is making a surrender. Because my head's already gone. When I'm waking up, I'm thinking about what I'm going to have to do with three this afternoon. You know what? It's seven in the morning. I get up at quarter seven, seven. I start taking calls at seven, ten every morning. I have a meeting every morning till eight thirty. That's part of my recovery too. But I read that little white book because it centers me and keeps me from listening to this. And what goes on between my ears is a disease. I can come back any time and I have to realize that. And I take the steps to keep it from happening. So I read that. I use the tools. Here sometimes I sit down I write a message to myself just to see what come out. I was told to keep it a couple of days and then read it. I go back and read what I wrote and I say, how the hell can I read this? How, how do I ever write this? You know, because of where I was two, three days ago. That's where my head was. So the secret is get it out. And I get it out by using literature, using meetings, using telephones, and the other steps as well. Thank you. You mentioned that you were powerless over your daughter, and uh, I uh, have a hard time with that. Uh, I uh, had a daughter that's playing for a championship game tonight, and I want to be there for her spiritually, but I'm just uh, scared, and um, um, uh, I don't want to make it about me, I want to make it about her. So, um, I think detached maybe emotionally from your, your family. I think a, uh, a doctor has a better definition of how to detach. They see sick people all day and they can't take them home. I see my daughter. I always show her I'm extremely interested in what she's doing. I want to know. I mean, she does live 500 miles away. We get to see each other three, four times a year. We talk on the phone every other day. And she knows that I have an open door when she's ready, but I have to let her go. I must let her go because I can't fix it. She told me a story about a woman who lived down the block who was much heavier than her, 300 pounds, went up to Phoenix, got a surgical, I don't know what it was, a lap band or a bypass, wherever they did, and came back and she dropped a phenomenal amount of weight. And I said, well, what else is she doing? She says, well, for 12 weeks she has to live on baby food. And I said to her, I said, if you did nothing else but wake up tomorrow morning and live on baby food for 12 weeks, don't you think you'd lose weight? No. These are all band-aids. So I said, whenever you're ready, Lauren, I love you. I have to say your name and tell her I love her. And I can't do anything else. I have to let go. Because if I want to get closer, I can. it's like entrapment. I don't want her to be afraid of me doing too much. Last chance. <laughs> My abstinence, how my abstinence has changed over the years, and how I decided on what my uh, three foods were that I would not partake of. From the beginning, I had to make a list of uh, my trigger foods, and they were all 
around sugar and bread and meat. Because this is what I ate every day in my life. I didn't know anything else. I thought you, a fish just swam. You didn't eat them. And, uh, and I had to sit down with my sponsor and talk about how to give up these things. Because sugar's in everything. I said, I'm going to stop eating. He said, no, you won't. No, you won't. Just don't concentrate on it. So we had to work it out. I had to work it out slow. First thing I did give up was bread. Because I'm not having it today. I used to be tough to go to a restaurant and say to the waiter or waitress, take it off the table. I didn't even care who we were with. <laughs> and I came to realize in my growth that it could be on a table for others. It's not there for me. That's growth. So I had to work out the food thing with uh, red meat and sugar and bread. And when I stopped with those three things, my weight started going down immensely. I will say it took me over a year and a half to lose my weight. And it took me another year to get down the last 15 pounds. But I dropped over 100 pounds in a year, which is a miracle. I don't know. It has to do with those three substances because it's, it's not enough. But I had to work it out with my sponsors. Sometimes they even called them tongue-in-cheek and said, hey, is your sugar in this thing? He said, Ken, are you serious? <laughs> Of course there's sugar in it. You want to have it? Go ahead. You always gave me that freedom. And that's what stopped me cold. If someone would say, Ken, you don't want that, you're not going to have it today. It's not good for you. I hang up and I'd eat it. But he said, if I want it, I can have it. He was very caring, but he couldn't hear me. So it was something I did work out with a sponsor, and especially with my wife, for the whole method of buying food, different my wife eats totally different than I do. If you came to her home every night, there are two different dinners. One for her, one for me. I don't eat what she eats. My wife doesn't like what I have. So, that's okay. Yes? You said you were very fortunate. I was wondering if you have, if you are still connected to the Jewish religion, and if that works in your spirituality now. I was raised orthodox in a uh, Jewish home. And, again, they practiced the religion on Saturday. And they would mess the rest of the week. They'd yell and scream and talk about each other and whatever. And I didn't get it. I went through all the steps up to age 13, and I graduated, and I did not go back. I respect the religion because that's where I came from, but I do not practice it. And I have something that works for me. So I passed it on to my son and my daughter, and he has gone through the steps, and he practices it more than I do. And I can't figure out because he couldn't get it in our home. But he is a temple member who's very active and wonderful. My daughter is not wonderful. We have to find our own way. But I'm not active in the religion today. Hi, um, thank you for your How do you, when you find yourself getting really upset and those feelings of anger, the very first thing, I, without even thinking about it, because I'll start to think about it, I'll say, oh, the hell with it, and the thought will continue. The very first thing is to sit down on the phone with a person and say, I've got to tell you what's going on in my head, and I have to keep it in two to three minutes. That's my guideline, and that's a release. And usually, what I say to people that do that to me, I say, now tell me, what are you going to do about it? And I can't say I'm going to self-destruct. 
because I already took the first step of recovery. I called someone. I have to have contact with another person who understands how I feel. Or sometimes if I'm, no matter where I am, alone somewhere, and without a phone, which is rare, I can take a piece of paper and write down exactly the anger that's going through my head. And you know what? It takes up usually three, four lines. In my head, it takes up a book, but it takes up three, four lines, and I could stare at it and say, that's driving me crazy. I, in other words, I have to slow down. I have to do life slowly. We have two minutes left. Anyone? The word perfectionism, to me, is spelled P-A-R-A-L-Y-S-I-S. It's paralysis. I can't do anything perfect. I used to keep trying to do something perfect. I left the wreckage of it behind me. Uh, today, perfectionism, to me, means more or less people pleasing. I can't do it your way. And if you're doing it the right way, then I'm not able to do it. Right? I can only do something my way. I have to have something else to surrender and let go of. And there's a wonderful page that deals with that in the big book, for page 12. Funny that that page should come to mind. It talks about this, how to deal with life. And uh, it's a wonderful page to slow me down. But again, perfectionism means I'm aiming for something I know I can't reach. So why aim for it? Slow down. Shut up, Ken. That's what I tell them. I thank you very much for being here. I can't do this without you.